Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Welcome to the podcast. Round two, fight. Father John. Father Nathan. And uh, closing it out here. It's final inning. We got in our uh, closers in. Trevor Williams is uh, stepping out and... Uh, we're bringing in a fresh arm here. That's right. Ninth what is inning. that? Chafin. Have you Chafin. heard this guy? No. Uh, Chafin is a pitcher for the Cubs, and uh, he he was the one that uh, rode into spring training on a Harley, and it specifically says in their contract they're not allowed to ride motorcycles. Okay. And this guy has a thick handlebar mustache and uh, drives like an 86 Firebird, and... Uh, lives the dream oh yeah and uh so he's not really a closer but he'd be the closest thing to us as closers that's right the sheriff the sheriff is right so well we are coming off of uh a great uh, few weeks and particularly a great weekend um ordinations to the priesthood are just high point of the year for us as priests especially Mm -hmm. when we bring in uh new companions and we got two uh brand new guys father uh sean conroy and Father Peter Sursich. Yep. Congrats, guys. Great weekend. Beautiful ordination. They were two of the six men ordained for Denver on Saturday. First Masses yesterday, and uh, yeah, it was just fantastic. We have two. The median height of the companions has just multiplied, I think, with the right. addition of these two two guys. Well, we had Father C.J. Mass, That's so true. that pretty much averages out to a wunch. Right, so. exactly. Last year, they were like average 5'2". Uh, Father Chris and Father CJ, and then this year they're like six eight. It's just the Nephilim. These guys are just gigantic. So. Mm-hmm. Get think about this. So uh, we celebrated my anniversary last week. By the time this podcast comes out, you will have celebrated ten years. Ten years of priesthood. Uh, Christopher Magianes and companions. Right. Um, but on the day of the Chrism Mass, you will be celebrating fifty years, and he will be celebrating. 50 those two guys will be celebrating 40 years. Crazy. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. Yep. It goes fast. And uh, the other crazy thing is we've been podcasting the whole time. You know? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> 10 years. We started this podcast before yeah. we were priests. It's just like, jeez. So it's flying. It's flown by. But uh, there's a particular part of every... Uh, or Well, there's several parts of every ordination. But the, the one that gets us every year... Uh, is the giving of the manaturgium to the mother at the first mass. Right. So there's a longstanding tradition where um, the priest, so after the priest is ordained uh, and he is vested, as we talked about in the last week, um, then his his hands are anointed with sacred chrism. Sacred chrism is the oil that's used for confirmation, baptism. Uh, it's the anointing um, that signifies Christ, Christos, meaning the anointed one, so that we share in this in a very particular way. The sacred chrism is all over, uh, so the archbishop's wearing this kind of goofy-looking cloth thing because there's, there's oil everywhere. When they anoint bishops, they actually anoint their heads, but our hands are anointed. So then the cloth that is used on the hands, manus in the Latin, the manaturgium, they're wrapped uh, in their hands, and that, that kind of seals and takes the sacred chrism off of the hands onto this... Uh, Onto this, this um, what do you call linen it? Cloth. linen cloth? Yeah. So at the end of your first mass, the tradition is that uh, you call forth your mother and uh, you give her the manaturgium. And this is where it, everybody just falls apart. 
because the mother of a priest, when she dies, is buried with the manaturgium in her hands. Mm -hmm. And when she comes and appears before the Lord in final judgment, he says, what have you given for my church? And she says, "Uh, I've given you my son as a priest. Mm -hmm. And it is... So I tell you what, both with uh, the first mass of Father Peter and Father Sean yesterday, yeah. uh, especially Father Peter. God, I mean, Conroy's it was beautiful. They're Irish, so it's a little less uh, less intense. But those Sursiches, man, mm-hmm. bunch of Croatians in there. The place Big it was hearts. like the whole church was, and Peter was like so beautifully holding it together. And his mom, Laura, who listens, shout out. I mean, it was just. <laughs> The whole place was crying, yeah. and you could just I, – it was just building to this moment, and it was just like, we can't take it anymore. Like, you got to give – you know, he just kept talking and talking. You could just feel I've, – I've never experienced so much, like, intense wow. movement. This must have been what the ancient world was like. Like, you see John 10 when Lazarus is there dying, and everybody's weeping. And, I mean, the intensity of emotion, you just don't feel that in modern people. But, beautiful. man, in that moment, it was so beautiful. And Sean's was beautiful as well. Sean made a great point that he said akin to a father handing over his daughter in marriage is something akin to a mother handing over her son to the priesthood. Yeah. And that's interesting because uh, the mother uh, entrusts him to a, a, a bride um, to bear fruit that she will not see in the same way. Because every mother rejoices that their son gets married in part because it's the opportunity for grandkids. Right. Um, but, uh, there's no, there's no grandkids, like there's no offspring. So it really is a rejoicing in the baptismal life, which is interesting because it begins, what I was thinking of was the mother more likely than not was holding the child when the child was first anointed with chrism. Mm -hmm. And now it's a, it's a, it's a handing back over of a, a chrismated garment that is a sign of baptismal fruitfulness. Beautiful. Yeah, it is. Uh, in the moment, it can take a variety of different forms. Uh, my mom and I laughed because we were just so overwhelmed that it was like, it was a highly transactional uh, moment that was less emotional because I was like, uh, hello, mother. Um, this is called the Manaturgium. And she just like, she was like just totally straight She face. was. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and my mom is a deep, woman of the heart and loves but the yeah. german thing just took over it was like system shutdown just like eh, like chernobyl <laughs> you know the, the chernobyl like war room where it's like yeah oh, the sirens are buzzing inside so it's just like shut the whole thing down just do, 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 you know put in the rods put in the rod germans have these things called roladens that they roll down over the windows when they go to bed at night these steel uh-huh it was like the roladens just kind of come down so but it was very emotional uh in its own way but it's just kind of funny that you know, sometimes it doesn't play out as much. I'm Did trying you, to think about your experience at Holy Ghost. Mine was uh, I gave I gave one the both of them to my to my mom and stepmom, and I said if anybody wants to know why I can give two, it's because I have a coupon. Right, exactly. And uh, but that was nice. And then, did you give a stole or a cross to your dad? I gave a stole. Mm-hmm. So that's the other tradition, yeah, the, the stole to the father. And I thought both the guys did a great job with that. Peter gave his dad the cross from the altar. Mm-hmm. That was also super powerful because he's like, this is the cross that I received as a child. Uh, it was with me in the room when I was um, 
getting chemotherapy through cancer. And wow. uh, Sean gave the cross to his brother, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful sign, and the stole to the dad. The stole from the cross uh, being the father's the one who teaches us what true paternal authority is, mm. what justice in mercy looks like, yeah. uh, which is what the confessional is. And I thought that was, the boys were really articulate in a way that I definitely was not in my first mass. So I was very impressed by that. Yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing is I've seen that play out already. Father Chris Considine buried the manaturgium with his mother, like mm-hmm. uh, his mom had already passed. Um, and then his dad died this past, whatever, two months ago. Mm-hmm. And he had the stole and the cross that he had given him. Yeah. I mean, it was like, wow, like amazing. If you ever at a parish where there's a priest being ordained and having a first mass, um, you want to be there. It's it's it really is something. Yeah. And uh, so we were very privileged. I, I was very blessed to preach uh, Father Sean's first mass yesterday, uh, which I haven't been that nervous in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that doesn't happen as often anymore. But I was like, this is a really big moment. And Mike did a great job. Father Mike preaching Father Peter. So, but we're getting old. I mean, these guys, Sean and Peter. We knew them when they were high school kids in the youth group. Yeah. Uh, Father Mike was a deacon at uh, Christ the King in Evergreen. And wow. there was uh, little Peter, as he kept joking in his homily, uh, 17-year-old. Sean Conroy was in sitting in the sound booth, kind of not yet fully converted uh, at my first mass wow. and uh, 10 years ago. So amazing stuff. I say this, and I hope that this uh, final installment of the podcast today... Uh, dove- for this year. For this year, dovetails well with, with the last one, uh, which was excellent. Um, and uh, the, the title of this is God as Being With. Hmm. With. And I take that from uh, an, a um, homily that I love that was by Hansers von Balthasar for the Feast of Trinity Sunday, mm-hmm. which is the 30th of May, so probably... Um, like it'll like several days after this podcast comes out, the Sunday after Pentecost is uh, the feast of the Holy Trinity. So we celebrate God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the great mystery, the very foundational mystery of our faith, which is that God is a relationship and that God is himself the perfection of love in this eternal relationship. God's being is not something that has relations. It is relation. Yeah. The persons of the Trinity are coextensive with their relations themselves. Even so, their names convey that. Exactly. So everything is about God is relationship, and that's the essence of it. So, uh, But going back two weeks, we had a, uh, a rather spicy podcast called uh, What ba- Balthazar Ought to Hope, mm-hmm. uh, which has already received a, a mixed bag of really? feedback, I would oh, say. shocker. And I, I went on a little bit of a diatribe at the end. Um, yeah, but it was good, I think. It was fun, at least. And, uh, Diatribes are normally fun in the midst of them. It's right. what happens afterwards that you have to watch out for. So, um, But people were asking, they were writing in and saying, okay, so we understand Balthazar is important. He's obviously very important to you guys. Uh, what do I read? You know, Because we were talking about how nobody actually reads him. Everybody has this kind of vague opinion of that he's not really good. Uh, but what do you read? And I, I honestly think... Start here. Mm-hmm. I'm holding in my hand uh, a collection of sermons uh, called You Crown the Year with Your Goodness, uh, sermons through the liturgical year. And I think you want to get him, you want to see what he's about. 
These were um, sermons that he gave on the radio in Germany, and I think it was in the 80s. It was towards the end of his life. Uh, yeah, this was published in 82. You crown the year with your goodness. And uh, it covers the whole, it starts in the new year, and it just works all the way through. So it's a great thing to have with you, especially as you're trying to kind of maybe do a little reading as like Pentecost is coming up or the Assumption is coming up or Christmas is coming up, whatever it is. It's a, it's a great, and they're short radio homilies. Uh, he gave them over several decades, but they were collected in the early 80s and then published in this volume. So there's the recommendation. Don't take my word for it. Dun, dun, dun. But uh, so the notion of God is with, uh, with being a preposition. It's a weird way of thinking, uh, but I want to start there with prepositions theologically considered Theolo- what a, prepos- what a, whoa yeah. we're doing a little we're doing a little grammar school yeah so what is a preposition conjunction junction what's your, your function hooking up words and phrases and clauses mm. we love this we're we're 80s kids right yeah some people are understand schoolhouse rock that's right so prepositions are words that hold other words together yeah they're relational like, you know, phrases, yeah. conjunctions. To, towards, with, from, uh, on, in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, we had to learn all that in Greek and uh, in Latin. Exactly. So. They're really... In the, and in Greek and Latin, they actually convey you... The, re, the conjunction or the preposition actually changes the way that you... It governs over the word itself. Mm-hmm. So the relation, you have to change the, the actual word uh, because of it. So it... It makes words relational to each other. It yeah. pulls them together. This is how we get sentences. This is how we get kind of, you know, larger thoughts and structures in relationship. I first came across this kind of preposi- prep- prepositional. Prepositional. Thank you. What did you, what'd you put in this beer here? Apricot week. Um, and Ratzinger, actually. And Ratzinger and Balthazar are the only two guys I've seen talk about this, but I, I love it. There's an essay called Truth and Freedom by Ratzinger, definitely worth reading, came out in Comunio in the 80s or something. And he says this, The real God is by his nature entirely being for Father, being from Son, and being with Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. Mm-hmm. God is being from, or excuse me, being for, being from, and being with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, Ratzinger is going to use this in light of what he calls the anthropological pattern. So he says, man is God's image precisely insofar as being from, with, and for constitute the fundamental anthropological pattern. What does that mean? It means to be a human person means to be in God's image, as we were talking about last time. And to be in God's image means that you image these three words— which describe the persons of the Trinity, for, from, and with. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to think of the Father as for. First off, I was, I was talking to Father Dan Barron recently about this, and uh, he told me, he's like, the essence of being a father is that you give in such a way as you don't want anything back. You, you have no, like, like the best fathers we know mm. I was walking out with Monsignor Ken Leone, who's a great spiritual father to us and to many, many uh, priests. He's just, the way he talks to me, it's, it's not about him at all. Mm-hmm. He's, re- he's really just for me. He's being for. And he prayed over me, and he asked, he was asking, like, what do you want? And we were walking out. We walked past, past uh, Clay and Sarah, newly married couple, and immediately he's just like, what can we pray for you for? And he just, he's just like, we're going to bless you right now. And this is just the way this man lives his life. Yeah. 
his priesthood is so fatherly because of that, because it's a kind of for the other. And so the very origins and the grounds of the Trinity, which is what the Father is, God the Father, the origin of the Trinity, as we say, it's for. It's purposed out of himself. It's generative. That's what paternity is in its essence. And we see this lived out. We've had fathers who, I mean, you think about, as we get older, I think we reflect on kind of the magnitude of how our dads sacrificed and suffered us and just kept giving and giving and giving and giving. And it wasn't about making them more awesome, fulfilling their bucket list, living out their dreams. I don't think our dads were like, yeah, we really experienced kind of self-actualization, you know, as yeah. your fathers. It's like, mm-hmm. no, we just kind of, we knew that it that when you were born and we held you, it was about you. Generated, yeah. Yeah. So the origin of everything is the, is the being for. And a lot of our priesthood, it's hard because the ego tempts us to think, well, what about me? What about my needs? How? What are my limits? What? What? Who's taking care of me? And yeah. we. And uh, that's that's a really kind of debilitated and adolescent attempt at fatherhood. And I, I see that in my. And as I'm looking at coming up on ten years, and then saying, "What's in the next ten years to come?" This is a big part of it. Uh, is to say, and I want to be four more deeply. How would you say then? Um, and maybe you're going to get to this. How would you say that intimacy? Um, aids in being for because it can't just be expropriation pouring out for your kids. There also has to be moments of intimacy with another, um, whether that's spouse or God or both um, or other relationships where I am received um, and I'm not just pouring myself out for others. Yeah. I think that's good. And I, I think that we have to see it as the father is not this autonomous expropriating being for mm-hmm. prime it's mover. A, prime mover, exactly. He's not, you know, Plotinus, so Neoplatonic thought it was kind of the the one is just pouring out. It's mm-hmm. this kind of cascading being. Yes. That's not it's the reciprocal love of the son mm-hmm. that's essential for the father's being for is that there's this being from that totally receives the gift and then returns it in exchange. So the eternal movement between the father and the son. Mm-hmm. So the, the the father being received in the son is just as important as his self-gift. Yes. And, and that's that in Balthazar's book, Credo, which is the one I would, I would recommend. I think the essays are very good and I think they're short enough, but I, I really like, I give people Credo at times, um, which is just his uh, reflections from a parish bulletin on the different um, uh, uh, sentences, uh, decrees of the creed. Um, and when he talks about, I believe in God, the Almighty Father, what he's talking about in terms of almightiness is that he's able to give himself in such a way that he would um, be received by another. He allows himself to be received by the Son, and not just, I give to you, which would effectively make the Son a lesser God. So even within the Godhead, you have perfect donation and perfect reception, um, so that it doesn't become, like you said, the the prime mover. Right, exactly. Uh, What is that called? Emanation. Yeah, exactly. Emanations. So there is this kind of interplay 
between being from and being uh, being for and being from. But it, and again, we're talking about God here because people might be thinking, what about motherhood? What about you know um, why this whole masculine thing? And we'll we'll come back to this, circle back to this in a second. But the point is to say that the the relations of being for and being from this kind of movement create the being with, mm. which is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the Spirit is the withness, so to speak, of God. And uh, the homily that Balthazar gives, God is as being with, is saying that the Spirit is the one who unites the for and the from. And that is what constitutes Christian life. Mm. We So fatherhood is tricky. And fatherhood can't just be the thing that we start with. We have to start in the with. Creation is made in the spirit and through the son and points back to the father. But really, we have to, we have to start with creation, humanity, my life is about with and then being from, and then it's about being for. The foundation of priestly life or fatherhood is not just... You don't just start, you don't just, are not just born and then you become a father. Mm-hmm. You're born into this relationship of being with other people. You learn to be from them. And then ultimately it's about, you learn how to be for. Fatherhood is the last thing that we accomplish. And so the very grounds of creation are that God as being with this, that the with of the Holy Spirit kind of unites these two and that is what constitutes and configures creation. And we have to work back towards that and through that by starting in the human relationships that we find ourselves in, namely that we're born into life with other people. Mm -hmm. Now this is very abstract. So let's go back to the beginning here. Why is it so powerful when Father Peter Sursich gives his parents, Tom and Laura, the, uh, the crucifix, the stole and the manaturgium, because he's acknowledging the not first and foremost that he was born into existence with them. There was never a time when you had Peter apart from right. his parents, right? Or Sean apart from his parents, or you and I apart from it. We and the, and Balthazar and Ratzinger go into this all the time. Let me, if I can read this real quick, starting with the the notion that we are born with other people. There's no such thing as autonomous human beings that just come into existence. And he specifically talks about the mother here, Balthazar. The developing human being is intrinsically ordered to being with other men, so much so that he awakens to self-consciousness only through other human beings, normally through his mother. So the mother is the one who holds, we've talked about this before, the mother is the one who holds the child. And I, I, I don't know really anything about how like birthing children's work works, but I do hear that they take the baby pretty quickly right away and right on the heart. Mm-hmm. Right on the heart. Yep. You know, flesh to flesh. Yep. They need Tell to feel me time. That, they need to feel that heartbeat. Yep. Why? Because they are they were in the mother and now they're out of the mother and they need to know I am with. Right. And this is so important for their physical and then eventually their kind of spiritual life. We awaken to that self consciousness primarily through the mother. And I think in a very specific way, uh, mothers live that they express something of God the Father as being for, you know, because God is not male, so there's something that transcends this. But the mother is is the one who expresses what creation is. 
in a very particular way. The she embodies the withness of everything. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was telling you about this marriage prep thing, and there's nine kids running all over the place, and it's it's chaos. But the little ones, they always come back to mom. And uh, there was a moment uh, Samantha was holding Robert, the little guy, and he was it was really funny because he fell asleep in her arms. He was crying, and he fell asleep, and he's like snoring really loud. Like as we're trying to have this marriage prep conversation, he's just. <sighs> you know, in the corner, but he goes to mom for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, and not that he doesn't love dad, but mom is the one who's really at, at the, at the heart of my being with, because I was in her. I, that's where I, that's where I came from mm-hmm. in a very specific way. I didn't come from this man. I, my existence from the second of my conception was in a woman and she expresses something distinctively of that withness that creation is made in relation and that this is where it all mm-hmm. all begins. Yeah. I mean, the you referenced that uh, in your homily yesterday for Sean, is that uh, Jesus doesn't have to say further goodbyes because he actually does uh, bestow his mother upon the disciple prior to his death. So he doesn't have to take her back again and then hand her over once again. But um, the, the mother... Uh, imagery in even like the Greek language is so similar that like Gune and Geo are are almost related. You know, we even call it Mother Earth. Um, but you, I mean, we don't. There's not a I don't know a deification of of the Earth, but there are uh, maternal qualities that are divine, and I think we certainly have grown accustomed to the deification of the mother. Uh, and, you know, God forbid you forget Mother's Day at some point in your life. When I, when I said to my uh, staff, I said, hey, when's uh, when's mother to, Mother's Day? And I said this to four women. They go, it's this weekend. <laughs> and I go, hey, when's, uh, when's World Day of Prayer for Priests? And they're like, I don't know, Father's Day? I'm like, no. Feast of the Sacred Heart. Nice try. But um, but there are, like, there's, there's intimate qualities to the life generation um, and uh, sustaining nature of uh, the mother in the life of persons, people, children, um, and even ongoing, like which is why there's a um, this beautiful interplay between the father and the mother in uh, the first mass. Yeah, it's interesting. At um, in Greek, we were in Greek class once. And uh, I can't remember it was me or somebody else, uh, but I'd translate this sentence. And uh, I said, uh, when Paul got up from the woman, he realized he was blind. <laughs> it was In actually the, earth. Earth, yeah. It was earth. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we want to to celebrate that that maternal quality of the communal nature of the of the mother-child bond. What Gronsky would say is that then it's the responsibility of the father to take the child from the mother's arms and orient him out into creation. You don't just remain in the the arms of the mother forever. You're actually made for uh, work, sacrifice, which is beautiful because it's like you need to have the being with in order to have the being for. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we leap over that. And I would say even recently we've kind of made the the father's love like what what has kind of grown in kind of 
Christian piety popularity, you know, like growing in your identity as a beloved son, uh, to be something akin of a recovery of the motherly embrace from the father, that the father has tenderness as well, which is true. But the father, the reason why I gave my dad the cross, I don't know if you remember that, is I didn't give him a stole, I gave him the cross because the father teaches the son, no greater love has man than this than to lay down his life. And the father teaches the son how to lay down his life. And the priest is the one who's supposed to be priest, altar, and sacrifice. So how is the priest going to know how to lay down his life unless he has a fatherly image? And that doesn't always have to come from the dad of the family. It can also come from spiritual fathers, teachers, mentors, coaches, um, whoever. Um, and I think that I think that's important. That's an important additional aspect that we need all three, like we, like you're saying, being with, being for, being from. Yeah, and and the three, the four from and with, which again, as um, uh, Ratzinger says, is the fundamental anthropological pattern. So this is the structure of your existence, is these three prepositions. You want to understand who you are, hmm. why you get up in the morning, what do you do when you have a day off, hmm. who you marry, where you go on vacation. Yeah, These are all questions that are tied to for, from, and with, and to the extent that you can understand this in God means that uh, is is the ability to to make sense of who you are. Like you're a question and you're not going to have, it's not going to be intelligible unless you see there's a pattern to my existence. And if Ratzinger's right, which I think he is, being in God's image means that we are, fundam- our fundamental pattern at the grounds of everything is for, from, and with. Now, the problem here uh, is sexual complementarity between a man and a woman is secondary to this fundamental pattern. So every man and every woman lives this pattern out, which means that every mom is four, just like every father is four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the grounds of everything are there. But then they don't exactly add up to... You can't just kind of delineate them into a God who is not differentiated by sexuality, right? Who transcends this. And this is something unique of the Christian revelation of God. There isn't, he's not sexed. When we talk about fatherhood, God as father, we're talking about something that transcends radically our understanding of when you and I say father. This is why Jesus is clear, call no man father. The fatherhood is that we share in so radically analogous, participatory, and limited, that uh, it's it almost is completely distinct. I mean, it, it is, we do share in, in this fatherhood, but it's, it's really, really limited. Um, and so when we talk about God as being for, our fathers being for, um, there's something specific of it, but it's, it's, it's not directly connected. Contrast that to woman, who is immediately um, connected to and is far less analogously and more profoundly expressive mm-hmm. of what is creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, ex- which creation is all of those for, from, and with. So in a sense, woman in herself and in her genius embodies all three in a comprehensive way. Mm-hmm. Mom teaches for, from, and with in a way that dad doesn't, but dad does distinctively show me something about four. And if you think of it like that, then all of a sudden it's not just like, 
oh, Christianity, classic, patriarchal, you know, uh, imposition upon the Trinity, and we have to kind of reduce all this language and get rid of, uh, you know, have general neutral theological language, all these things. And it's like, no, let's go back to that. If creation is patterned by all three, and woman expresses creation, articulates creation as all three, then we learn all three in a, in a, in a profound way while we do learn the four from the Father, our fathers in a specific way. So we got to stop kind of thinking of them on equal terms. They're just they're just distinct. They're not they don't just kind of add up. So I don't know if this is making sense. It's it's pretty abstract. Well, I would say I I, I like the idea of the genius of woman to actually be able to um to concretize for us when we look at our mothers, I am from her. I am with her. Like I mean children who breastfeed it's like they're one and the same um and then i am for her uh like i i live in relationship to her i actually want to serve her kids bringing you know flowers to their mother um but i think it's also interesting because the the father is the one i that isn't just you've got to lay down your life it's also we are we are from this humanity we're from this community there's a whole host of people that that we are indebted to but then we also are a win and with with these persons um we live in relationship with the whole family it can't just be you and mom the whole time you know like uh, my dad has a saying which is she'll always want to give the boob Mm-hmm. You know, like if you go to mom, she's always going to want to care for you. But sometimes you got to say, like, I can't just rely upon that. I need to, um, I need to be with, you know, in an, in a separated way, in a reserved way, and um, it can't just be mommy and mommy and son. It's also brothers and sisters. It's also fellow, you know, humans. And I think that in that regard, like you're seeing the the complementarity of you can't just supersede nature. You can't just go straight into the Christian life that is like, oh yeah, my brothers and sisters are really those who are who are baptized in this mass of humanity or whatever. It's also like I come from a family, but I'm made for something even greater. And I think there are there are roles there that even even the mother holds because the mom teaches the the child oftentimes how to pray and in that it's not just i will give you everything you ever want like never look outside of you it's also there is another who you can rely upon and in that it allows the child from a place of the the natural comfort of relationship with the mom to actually begin approaching a relationship to one that they have not seen either right yeah these are two essential uh, components to the formation of every human life. Uh, The way the father does this and the way that the mother does this, they both live out the same pattern for, from, and with, but in different ways. It's almost like two different modalities instead of two kind of um, exacting kind of, it's not delineated. They both do it, but in different ways. Mm -hmm. And, and, And sometimes we speak about sexual complementarity as like we're equal and we're distinct and it's true, but there's also something different about like I was in my mother, right. you were in your mother. Like that's different than, and talk to any young dad. It's like, eh, it took a little while to kind of like right. bond to this kind of right. 
this little human being. Um, and, and for them to bond to you. Right. And so there's something about this that is just, man is like radically insignificant in the formation of a child in that gestation period. Like mm-hmm. he, he just contributes this tiny little bit. And then the woman is the one who, who brings him into being. And yes, he supports her and yes, he does these things, but they're, they, they play in different kind of modes. And I, I think that, that that's one thing I would just say is let's be careful if we just align them too distinctively and say, because what God is revealing when he says he is father and uh, he's doing something different. Another thing I would say, going back to your point about there's a, there's kind of a, a, a real emphasis of like spiritually we need to um, just acknowledge ourselves as beloved sons of the father. True. But again, if if in creation we're starting with in with and then from, we're kind of skipping a level. You can't just say, I'm a beloved son of the Father. First, you're like, I am with others right. in the mother, the church, Mary. And from that, I learn to be in the son. And that's how I, and then eventually as priests, we say for but that whole beloved sonship thing is is true, but it seems to me it's been it's been siloed, and it's like I understand where I'm from first from who I'm with, and that's that's a human experience hmm. that uh, I was just being in my family, and then eventually I grew to a point to say, oh, I'm I'm from these people, and they point me up towards, but you're from God. And that's why your existence has to be for in some form, no matter if you're a man or a woman. And for us in particular, we take on that role of expressing something of the Father. Can we go even deeper for one more minute? Sure. I, I just have one point on go that. Like, I think it is dangerous to silo that particular theological truth because it, it exists in relationship. When one goes around claiming their beloved sonship, you know what? I think I've told you this. What I think of is, you know what they did to the beloved son? They threw him down a well because they were tired of listening to him, you know, like claim his whatever exalted, whatever position over all of them. Um, And ultimately, uh, Joseph saves his brothers. Um, He does, he does reconcile with them and he does get reestablished with his father, but there does have to be some um some building of relationship with and not just uh i am i'm the favored one right um and it's not that i don't believe that uh our adopted sons and daughters like should see their great dignity but their dignity exists in relationship with others as well it's not just i'm saved it's that we are claimed in Christ as brothers and sisters. And so there's not like a, I don't see it as an individual thread that goes down to you. And now you have a royal bloodline back to the father. It's like we were all, we were all motherless and fatherless. We had been abandoned by Adam and Eve and we were adopted as one whole enclave into the, into the life of God. And uh, so, yes, we are the beloved son and daughter of the father, but we are that as as the church, right? You know, in the church, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it happens not because I've come to a realization of it; it happened because of an ecclesial event, right? So. That's key, and we try and live that out in the companions. 
by saying we don't just the beloved sonship thing is not we're all playing our own game of golf here you know everybody's just kind of golfing their own game and we happen to kind of be around each other but it doesn't really matter if what you're doing on the golf course other than where the cart's going or something like that the the point of it is for the companions it's like yes beloved sons and yes it is foundational but the being with has to be a lived expression of like you said that ecclesial event so that i keep understanding who i am in light of the father but with these other people mm-hmm. and uh the getting back to the just the deeply communal and corporate sense of christianity that god didn't come to save individuals in this in this kind of golf type approach but he came to save the cosmos he came to save all of humanity yeah and we have because of the reformation and because of the way the whole the chessboard got changed and it was all about individual justification and my own salvation and we've been we've been doing that for 5 centuries but in the early church it was cosmic it was universal mm-hmm. catholic in that sense right. every God is here to save everyone and to do it together. And we're not saved individually. We're saved we it, together. And um, I think we have to get back to that being with. Mm-hmm. Okay, a final point. A little uh, deeper, folks. Undeveloped, super deep. Hang with me. I'm taking this from Louis Bouillet. I don't understand it. He gets it from Gregory of Nyssa. I hope somebody listens to this podcast and can put this together for me and uh, develop it. And then we'll reapproach it maybe in the fall. God the Father is virginal. His paternity is virginal. Mm-hmm. That makes it completely different than the experience of fatherhood in this world. Virginity for Nyssa then becomes the primary analog for understanding how women are understood within the origin of the Trinity, which is the Father. They express something of the virginal hmm. paternity, while men express something of the paternity itself. So, something about the virginity of women, which the church has always said is so unbelievably important, Premier, you know, in a preeminent way, in the Virgin Mother of God, her virginity mattered, still matters. We've honored and consecrated virgins, women. We don't consecrate virgin men. Right. We don't call them that. Right. The, you, you've made a great point of this. Andrea Polito is not a celibate woman. Right. She is a virgin, right. and that virginity matters. She has her own order. Right. And that virginity, uh, which is obviously not something that's brought into uh, married life, is still the foundation for woman. And there's hmm. something about the spiritual work of virginity and why we're always pointing to Mary that she is virginal mother and that she expresses something of the virginal father in her virginity in a way that is, it's a completely different kind of path to the Father in terms of what the woman expresses about the heart of God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I don't know what to do with that, but I think that's really interesting. Instead of saying, we got to start calling God mother, it's like, the Father is virgin. And that has everything to do and reveal with the essence of what a woman is in her very foundation and in her very genius. Yeah, gosh, the yeah, the generativity of the uh huh. Yeah, the generativity of the father who knew not who knew not woman or man. Like what we say about virgins, she was a virgin because she knew not man. Um but God 
knows no one but himself and is able to be fruitful without another but solely within himself so yeah yeah it's fascinating i mean uh i like that because i like that because it preserves the the scriptural uh jesus's revelation of god as father while at the same time uh allowing for some of the clamor around yes but god is god has motherly characteristics too and it's like but it's not motherly it's virginal like which is feminine uniquely feminine not uh yeah what we describe as men men who are celibate is they are living according to the heavenly life but if god is virginal then there is something even that precedes heaven so i think the way that nissa thinks of it is the virgin the virginity of the womb of the father mm-hmm. in heaven because mm-hmm. he's not yeah. he's generating yeah and so the there's something about the virginal womb of the woman as the birthplace of the child like this is where it comes to be and there, there's something really mysterious mm-hmm. here and again we got to look to mary we got to say why is this expressed in mary but we've just so undervalued the beauty of virginity in the world i mean it almost seems absurd to like talk like this but this is at the heart of the faith and mm-hmm. we need to preserve and pray for the sanctity uh, of virginity uh, in the world and also understand how that reflects something and how women don't lose that um, in themselves, that there's a spiritual way of, a supernatural way of living out virginity, no matter what's happened in your life. Like we have to preserve and protect that. And we need women to be spiritually virginal. They have to take on that supernatural way because that there's something that's missing about our understanding of the father and the being for without virginity lived. And we're talking about the, the virginity or the purity of faith in the mm-hmm. heart which is just as important for Mary as it is her bodily virginity. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, we would say that the word generates life. And, like, what's it, Justin? Is it Justin Martyr that talks about the spermata to logu? So that the the seed of the word, which, um, again, inseminates, in, like, uh, creates the fertility, the, the flowering of the image which is the i mean what the what the seed is doing is it's replicating something of the original in another instead of it instead of it um instead of it being one creating another which is distinct from the other the virginity of the father precedes even the the son but instead of the father creating the son through uh, procreation, he's creating through a virginal outpouring. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. This is this is crazy, crazy mm. deep stuff. Barstad, uh, Barstad would be so good on this. Yeah. Um, mm. So, anyways, thank you for letting me introduce this. Let's circle back and make a f- a very basic final point unless you had any other thoughts on this. no this is about as simple as it gets we're landing the plane here so just to conclude the fundamental pattern of your life my life 
anybody who's listening, to be for, from, and with, that's expressed in the Trinitarian relations, which can um, lay the grounds for creation. But with, being with is the foundation of our life. And I'll just conclude with a, a personal and very simple remark. I was talking to Father Dan Barron recently, uh, again, great spiritual director at our seminary, kind of the heir of Father Goronsky, and I was lamenting my inability to examine well at the end of the day. And he says, well, I'll tell you what I do. I just ask two questions. What did I do with Jesus today? And what did I do without him? And for me, that was just like, mind-blowing. All this talk about Nyssa and the virginal paternity of the Father, but then something as simple as that, to reflect on your day as, what did I do with Jesus? And do I desire to be with Jesus today? Mm-hmm. That's Now you're picking up on the fundamental pattern of Christian life and seeing sin and repenting for the ways that I was autonomous, yeah. solo. I was uh, uh, my just living my own self-preoccupied life without Jesus. I tried to be without somebody at the very grounds, the very kind of spiritual grounds of my life. That's a great way to do the examine. And for me, it, it just, it reawakened the desire to live a reflective examined life with a new freshness. Just the question of with. Wow. You know where I went? His name is Han Solo. Han Solo. And eventually, in Star Wars, the original, he doesn't just care about his money he cares about the relationship and then he comes back into relationship and then knocks darth vader off course and says let's blow this popsicle stand and go home (laughs) that was it man you took it even deeper took it even deeper man but i I love that i love that uh, simple uh practical point because i can get a lot of things done without jesus but they don't they don't bear fruit. And the thing that I was that I was looking at is I was pondering the other day, what does it mean to remain in Christ? And it doesn't just mean like don't go anywhere, like you know, like just stay with me. Um I, I can't have you running around everywhere. It's just like let's let's be together. Let's do this together. And yeah. and in and, and that, like I think you can you can see that the the fruit that you bear by remaining in Christ abides forever as opposed to whatever individual accomplishments you can make. And remaining presupposes that you are somewhere. If I said to you, I need you to remain at St. Joseph's today, you're like, I'm not at St. Joseph's. I'm at St. Joan of Arc. So remaining means you're somewhere already. You have to move, yeah. So the act of remain means you're already in something. You were born. You're not alone. There's so much isolation and loneliness in the world right now, and we're not alone. We were born into, and we were with, not just other people, but with God who is for, from, and with. But that withness is the very essence of your life. And if if we just have the spiritual perception and awareness to live with that, then the gift of remaining and the whole Christian project of sanctity, everything starts to kind of make sense. But we got to begin again at at the very grounds of the pattern of our life which is that we're supposed to be with hmm. others and with God. Beautiful. Amen. You are not alone. Sing it. I am here with you. That's great. All right. That's a great note to end on Woo. because we're leaving them for like two months. <laughs> yes. We are not with you. We are not with for you. For June and July. You got to remain in someone else. That's I right. hope it's not 
catching foxes. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Luke Carey, you're the man. Shout out to you. Thank you for your kind words <laughs> after the last podcast. We love you. Gomer, we also love you. So, Gomer. All right. Do you have any shout outs? I don't think I have any. Oh, I think I do. I could just do the mic rap meta shout out. Like, I want to shout out like all of creation. Trees. I want to shout out trees. They're just like, I'm like really into sheep right now. And I just like, <laughs> all of you, you're so beautiful. You don't realize how beautiful you are. God loves you so much. Okay. So, um, the, um, uh, shoot. Uh, I got two. Uh, so, uh, to, uh, Mark, uh, Mark A, which rhymes with parquet, um, the, uh, margarine. Marquet is a good friend of Carol. Uh, Malone, and she's been very good to her. Uh, she even made me an Easter basket with uh, with beer in it. So uh, for all the the people that are supporting uh, friends in in this difficult time, I mean, no matter where you find yourself, even in COVID tide, you're you probably needed somebody. So uh, reach out and touch someone who actually affected your life. And one of them that I want to salute is Marquet. And then uh, <laughs> I was in the airport, St. Louis airport. And uh, I walk up to a priest. He's in clerics, just kind of looking around, just looks bewildered. And um, I said, uh, I'm in plain clothes because I'm going fishing. So I just said to him, Father, thanks for your vocation. And he's like, oh, hey, yeah, thanks, man. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, you, uh, invite, you from St. Louis or something? And I'm like, no, I'm from Colorado. And I was like, where are you? The, where, where, where do you serve? And, and he's like, oh, I'm at Martin of Tours. I was like, oh, we're... We're kind of buddies. Uh, I'm at St. Joan of Arc um, because Martin of Tours is the patron of France. St. Joan of Arc's patroness. Anyways, uh, and uh, he's like, I'm sorry, who are you? And I was like, I'm I'm Nathan Goebel from Denver. But I didn't really introduce myself as a priest. And <laughs> this guy, this guy was like Mike Rapp's twin. <laughs> Just kind of like quirky and, and funny. And uh, I was like, man, if I was in St. Louis, I would definitely look this guy up. So Father Noah from St. Martin of Tours Parish, St. Louis, Illinois, or St. Louis, Missouri. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, shout out. You had no idea who I was, but uh, it's just great to see another priest in the airport. So That's great. I'd yep. say just shout out to uh, my classmates, especially my brother companions, Father Greg, Father Brady, and Father Brian. Uh, what a long, strange trip it's been, yeah. but uh, great 10 years. And uh, ad multos anos, right? To many more. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. We'll see you in a few months. Uh, let the good times roll. That's right. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great summer. See you in August. Cheers. Cheers.